Hi, and welcome to the Health Nuts Podcast with certified holistic nutrition consultants, Mary Vance and Caitlin Weeks. Our goal is to dispel mainstream nutrition myths and bring you the best in holistic health and real food education. The only purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. It is no substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical advice or services. Instead, we encourage you to discuss your health with a licensed healthcare provider. Caitlin Weeks and Mary Vance assume no liability for your activities in connection with this podcast. So welcome. Today we have Jimmy Moore with us, and he's just written a new book called Cholesterol Clarity, and we're really excited to have him, and we are going to ask him some questions and get to the bottom of the real truth about cholesterol. So uh, welcome, Jimmy. Hey, what's up, Caitlin? (laughs) So... um, We'll get to that in just a minute, and we want to make sure you know where to find us on the web and on Facebook. So my website's grassfedgirl.com, and Mary Vance is maryvancenc.com, and we're on Facebook at grassfed, Facebook slash grassfedgirl and Mary Vance Nutrition Consultant. And new on our blogs this week, um, I have written a post about guacamole, how to make your easy guacamole. And then I also have a post about um, Jimmy's new book is a giveaway on my site, so make sure you register for the giveaway to win Jimmy's new book, Cholesterol Clarity. And Mary is always doing something big over there, so go and check out Mary Vance NC. She's, I know she wrote a, pot, a post recently about women's hair loss, so that was a big hit. And so we, so one thing we like to do on our show, Jimmy, is Asked our guests, and we talk about what we had for breakfast. So what did you have for breakfast, Jimmy? Oh, I love that question, and I I don't mind sharing what I had for breakfast at all. I had four pastured eggs cooked in grass-fed butter, and I was able – I can tolerate dairy, so I had some raw cheese on top of that and then put some probiotic-friendly sauerkraut on top of that and then some sour cream on top of that, and that was my meal. Wow, that sounds great. I know you like to have a high proportion of fat, which is very, very good for for the brain and the heart. So um, I had, I did a little, I don't usually do this, but today I just had some coconut milk and some decaf coffee because my dad, I'm staying with my parents this week. Yeah. For two, for two weeks. And, um, my dad likes to eat lunch at eleven, at around eleven or eleven thirty. <laughs> so I like I can't barely get a breakfast in without my dad wanting to have lunch. So I yeah. thought I'll just wait, and then as soon as I finished my coffee, practically we were having lunch. So um, and then they like to eat dinner at five over here. So um, I'm in Nashville, and uh, Jimmy lives in South Carolina, and um, Jimmy actually went. I think we're both. Tennessee graduates, University of Tennessee. So, yeah. Um, and I actually got to visit Jimmy in South Carolina with my grandmother, my mom. He lives very close to to where they live, so we got to have lunch. And he got to meet my mom and my grandma, who both had some success doing paleo diet. Stuff Sweet like ladies that. too. Yeah. So Jimmy's down home, friend of mine. So I'm excited to have him on the show today. So let's talk more about your background and um so i so i'll say what i know and then you fill in the gaps 
Sure. So you lost weight around 2004, 2005, 180 pounds. It was miraculous on, um, you were closer to 400 pounds and then you lost all that in about a year or so, right? And then uh, Mm -hmm. you wanted to spread the word, spread the good word to everyone and you started your podcast and you wrote a book and you became a really popular blogger. And then more recently, you have, uh, you've stalled out for a little while, I think had some trouble with your weight loss. And then you decided to get more into nutritional ketosis and you lost um, some of the weight that you had gained back and even more. And you're back down to your goal weight, as far as I know. That's right. And now you, you sometimes, a lot of people criticize you for some reason. I don't know why. Um, cause you seem like an all around nice guy. I've met you at several different conventions as well. And I can't see why people are, why do you think you're such a lightning rod for criticism? <laughs> you know, I think because I'm honest, Caitlin, I just think that's the honest truth. I think people fear those who are open and I live my life an open book. I mean, you know, all those details about my life. How do you know them? I told you on my blog, I've said them on my podcast, you know, I've spoken to you in person and, and, and hung with you and shared those details because I think if we're ever going to help people and you've got a powerful story yourself, you know, you tell your story, people are going to be helped by it. And so sometimes that means making yourself vulnerable, putting yourself out there. And yes, I know it invites the criticism, but at the end of the day, I don't really pay much attention to the critics because there's too many people out there in the world that need saving. And, and I think that that, you know, mission to continue to bring that positive message to them is much more important than getting bogged down by the negative nannies that are out there. Yes, I know you were very motivated because you, you lost your brother at a young age. Yep. Yeah, he was 41 years old when he died of heart disease, diabetes, and morbid obesity. Um, he had a series of heart attacks in 1999. His name was Kevin, by the way. Um, 1999, a series of heart attacks that just about killed him at that point at the age of 32. Wow. And he uh, had 15% of his heart function. He was in and out of hospitals, eventually got a defibrillator. But, you know, when you make those poor choices, Caitlin, they catch up to you. And for him, it caught up to him really, really early in his life. Uh, and, it, and it ended up killing him way too early. Um, you know, and ironically, the year that he got uh, the heart attacks, he was 32 years old. That was the age I was when I started on my Atkins journey. And then the uh, age that he was when he died was 41 and that's how old I am now. So all of this just kind of hits home really hard for me that this message is needed now more than ever. I know it really is motivating when you can help people in your family or, or help, (laughs) help other people that, you know, may benefit because I know I've helped several people in my family. Yes, you have. And, you know, really, you know, you can see them enjoying enjoying their life, and and it makes so much more. And maybe you can help other people before it's too late for them. So we appreciate your service, Mr. Moore. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Weeks. <laughs> Mrs. Weeks. <laughs> exactly. Um. 
So that Italian husband of yours will kick my tail if I don't call you Mrs. Right? <laughs> yeah, he's um got that Mediterranean blood. Yes, so, I love your husband, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we we had a great time on the low carb cruise in 2012. Yep. And I got to meet your co-author, Dr. Eric Westman. He sat at our table. Yep. Uh, and that was great fun. He is a great guy, and I know he's an expert in this area. You want to know how I met him? How? So in 2006, my blog had been out about a year or so at that point and had been doing really good. And, and the whole low-carb community, I was kind of getting brought into the fold, so to speak. And they said, you know, hey, would you like to come as, uh, you know, as a blogger and cover this event, this scientific conference, I'm like, well, it sounds boring to me, but uh, okay. <laughs> you know, I was kind of learning at that time. I was still learning a lot of this stuff. So I attend this conference in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm sitting in one of these sessions from one of these experts that's up there giving some talk on something. And so I'm sitting right next to Dr. Eric Westman, who is my co-author on Cluster for All Clarity. And the guy that was giving the lecture was saying something about Pepsi, and he was going over my head. I was totally clueless as to what he was saying. And I remember Dr. Westman leaning over to me and said, now, wouldn't that be a diet Pepsi? Yeah. And so it was at that point I was like, okay, there's something different about this guy. He's not one of these, you know, stiff MD guys. He really, he gets it. He knows how to kind of make the message palatable. And, of course, we've become great friends since then. And uh, uh, he's a co-author on the new Atkins for a New You, a top-level researcher of low-carbohydrate diets, as well as, uh, you know, being a practitioner, helping actual patients in a clinic setting. So uh, he is the real deal. Very honored that he uh, helped me out with cholesterol clarity. Yeah, he's a it's a real fun loving guy. So I think oh, yeah. your won't your book won't be putting people to sleep, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> that was not the goal. <laughs> no. But sometimes you try to read these things and it's just too much. And I think that's yeah. the that's the great thing that um you've got going for this book is that you come from the common man's perspective and then he comes in with the you know the medical perspective and it it will make it really accessible to the average person so that's that should be great now um let's get into our the meat of our of our program here so let, we have a lot of questions from our audience from facebook and then mary has some um questions too and then so how how do you think this fear of cholesterol came about well we tell the story, and I'm sure everybody in your audience probably has heard the story about Ansel Keys uh, bringing on, uh, uh, having this theory, so to speak, in the 1950s. He was a scientist who was trying to look into the reasons for heart disease, and he saw a study of rabbits that showed that you feed the rabbits, um, you know, fat and cholesterol in their diet they're going to get atherosclerosis, and that's exactly what happened to them. Well, guess what? Rabbits are herbivores. So if you feed an herbivore fat and cholesterol, it should not be surprising to anybody that you're going to get heart disease. Well, Ansel Keys saw that and said, well, gee, if that happens in rabbits, that probably happens in human beings. So he sets out to do this study uh, looking at different nations um, and seeing if there was a correlation between the amount of saturated fat and cholesterol in the diet, raising cholesterol levels and getting heart disease. So he went to 22 total nations, Caitlin, all over the world, 
to see if there was any correlation between these things. Well, guess what? There were some nations that ate more cholesterol and more saturated fat, and they had less heart disease. And then they had some that consumed a lot less cholesterol and less saturated fat, and they had more heart disease. So really, the results were all over the board from Ansel Keys's theory. But he didn't, didn't like he, didn't he that. Decide he said, he you know, going to throw out some of the studies that's right. in some of the that's countries. It. That's exactly right. So of the 22 countries, he only stuck with seven of them that fit his hypothesis, and he got it published in a pretty major journal. He got on the cover of Time magazine and heralded as this great scientist coming up with the discovery that the reason why we have heart disease is elevated levels of cholesterol in the blood brought on by consumption of saturated fat and cholesterol. So that was the 1950s, and Slowly but surely, that idea started to catch on, and our government got involved in the 70s when the McGovern Commission said, hey, let's start making dietary guidelines to protect the American people. So that's when we had in 1980 the very first dietary guidelines for all Americans. It pushed more healthy whole grains, less artery-clogging, saturated fats, and cholesterol and that's when all this nonsense started with the food pyramid, which is now called My Plate. Uh, so people have believed it because we've lived through decades. I mean, you and I are, you know, have lived our whole lives, Caitlin, under this whole mantra of the dietary guidelines, the food pyramid, and now My Plate. This it's what we've always known. So trying to break that out of the minds of people is a very hard thing when they've heard it their entire life. <laughs> You know, I remember when I was in high school or younger and we'd eat a huge plate of pasta with some fat-free tomato sauce. You oh, know? yeah. Like, this is so healthy. <laughs> oh, but it's only three points with Weight Watchers. Yes, of course. So um, what what do you think the difference is between the science and what the mainstream medical community believes? I mean, what is the difference between the science, what's published, and, and why isn't that the same as what the medical profession believes in? Yeah, that's a great question because there's been a lot of great science, which we highlight in Cholesterol Clarity, uh, with triglycerides, for example, and HDL, those two markers being a lot more relevant than a total or an LDLC number on your cholesterol panel. Uh, you know, and the unfortunate thing is most of the education that's happening for medical doctors um, is just not happening when it comes to nutritional fixes. So doctors are lucky, lucky, Caitlin, if they get one week of nutrition in med school. All the rest is pretty much physiology and pharmacology. And so they're learning how to treat patients with a drug. And then, of course, once they become physicians, they have these you know, really sharp-dressed, good-looking people come in as pharmaceutical reps and say, hey, look, we've got the cure for heart disease. We've got this pill that will lower the cholesterol because we all know cholesterol is a reason for heart disease, so we'll lower it. And so they are being heavily marketed. If people like you and me had the opportunity to go in like these pharmaceutical reps and give the information that you and I know to be true about health, you know, maybe just maybe we could have and make a difference. Unfortunately, we don't have that access. Although, Caitlin, I did give a copy of Cholesterol Clarity to my own doctor, who's a traditional trained doctor. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm anxious to see what 
he has to say if he even bothers to read the book. If I find my book as a doorstop in his office, I'm going to throw it at him next time I see him. <laughs> well, he must not be too bad if you've decided not to fire him. Well, he is a wonderful man, and if I break my arm, I definitely want to go see him. Um, he, he's definitely on board with you know, listening to what I have to say. He, he knows at this point, because he saw my 180-pound weight loss, but he knows at this point not to push that and drugs on me anymore. Uh, you know, and he knows that I'm a little more educated than his typical patient. Um, so, yeah, he's willing to work with me, but, yeah, he's still steeped in conventional wisdom regarding uh, the statins and cholesterol meaning something. And in fact, Christine, my wife, went to see him a few months ago, uh, had a checkup, and her total cholesterol came back at 225 and he knew better than to push a statin, but he did kind of mumble under his breath, Caitlin, uh, you probably need to cut your um, um, saturated uh, fat. Um, and I was like, no, you didn't. Right in front of me, really? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, on that saturated fat, you know, what are some of the most common misconceptions about cholesterol? Yeah, I think the whole clogged arteries thing is the biggest misconception. People think, I, I will eat saturated fatty cholesterol in my diet that immediately goes right to my arteries clogs them up i get a heart attack and i get heart disease that's what people think but it's ignorance uh that's just ignorance because what you don't realize is cholesterol in the diet number one does not equal cholesterol in the blood um and then saturated fat in the diet does not necessarily increase in a deleterious way the cholesterol in the blood. So this is going to get a little bit technical here, but I'm, I'm sure uh, this is what you want to hear from me. So yeah. when you eat saturated fat, it does some really incredible things to your cholesterol panel. And people don't realize this, but when you consume butter, coconut oil, lard, full-fat meats and cheeses, all of these really healthy saturated fat sources, when you consume those, your HDL cholesterol, which is the good cholesterol, almost invariably will go up, and that's a good thing. Your triglycerides also, in conjunction with limiting your sugar and grain and, for some people, starch intake, when you limit that while eating these saturated fats, you also lower your triglyceride level, which is a key blood fat that you want to have lower. And then the last thing that consuming saturated fats does is it lowers the amount of small, dense LDL particles, which there's not just one LDL. There's actually two major classifications. One is called a large, fluffy kind. It's known as pattern A. And then one is called the small, dense kind. That's known as pattern B. So when you eat saturated fat, it's it removes those pattern B ones, the small, dense, and dangerous kind. They're dangerous because they can penetrate your arterial wall. And it switches them over to the large, fluffy kind, which are less atherogenic and pretty much harmless to you when it comes to heart health. So that's the power of consuming these fats. Um, and, and it's certainly a good thing to be consuming more fat, not less fat in your diet. Yeah, it's just crucial to uh, get the right ones. and and That's right. And that would be like grass-fed butter and grass-fed meat from animals, pastured yep. Pigs, avocados, avocados, wonderful. Um, Grass-fed butter. Did I say that? Coconut, you did. coconut, coconut oil. oil. Yeah. And um, 
so when you're talking about the large fluffy, I always like to think of that as like a beach ball bouncing yep. around. And, you know, beach ball, you throw it out a window, it's not going to hurt anything. But you no. put a BB at the window and it's going to crack the window. Or even a baseball, right. Yeah, so you want – right. So you want the the large fluffy. And so – what are some, on you know, talking about, we got to find out what those numbers are. So what yeah. are the tests you want to ask for your doctor? Yeah. yeah, every doctor in America can run this test that I'm about to tell you. It's run through LabCorp, and LabCorp is literally in, every doctor's office uses LabCorp to do blood work. So they can run it. It's called the NMR lipoprofile test. And what that test will do, it's an advanced lipid panel it will give you not just all the normal markers that you get, like total LDLC, HCL, uh, VLDL, triglycerides, all that's on your typical panel, but it gives you three added numbers that are incredibly important. The first one is your LDLP number. That's the total number of LDL particles in your blood. So that tells you the number of particles. So it's different from your LDLC number that you're used to seeing. It's like a you know 130, 150, whatever it is. Mine's uh, uh, over 200 right now, but we can we can talk about that. <laughs> but then the other thing is small LDLP. So it shows you those ones that are the small, dense kind. So of that total LDL particle number, the LDLP number, it gives you the number of those particles that are small. And the key is getting that small number as low as you possibly can, ideally under 20% of your total LDLP number. Um, and then optimally, if you could get it, you know, straight up under, under 200, that's going to be really good. So for example, if your LDLP number is 1000, you want that L, small LDLP number to be 200 or less. So that's 20% or less. Now the third number that's on your, NMR lipoprofile test that's really important, and it really doesn't have anything to do with cholesterol per se, is the LPIR score. And what that is is a key insulin resistance marker. It tells you how you're doing controlling your blood sugar and insulin levels, uh, you know, and that's a big part of my message with what I try to talk about with living with low carb is you've got to get the insulin resistance under control. So getting that number, they say below 45, but at 45, you're showing some pretty bad insulin resistance. I think ideally below 15 would be good. My current level of uh, LPIR is 9. Wow, that sounds great. So let's say somebody who doesn't really, or let's just say the doctor is not very cooperative. Where can they go to get it if on their own? Is there affordable places oh yeah yeah um and and i would try with your doctor if you have a pretty good relationship like my doctor i mean i could go to him now and say i want to run this test this test and this test and you know can we do it he's not going to say no he may push back a little bit and say well do you know why you're doing these tests and then i'll explain why i'm doing the test and then he'll say okay we'll do them so try that first and and a lot of doctors that care about you as a patient especially if you've had a long-term relationship with them my doctor I've been seeing for uh, you know almost 15 years so I know him really well and he knows me well and so try to do that I think that's probably the number one thing because these people aren't going to change these doctors they've always learned things but if you show them 
you know, a living, breathing patient that actually makes changes that go counter to what they're used to doing, uh, it might just, you know, convince them. So uh, the other thing that you can do that you were alluding to is there are tests online that you can have run. I don't have health insurance, Caitlin, so I have to do a lot of my own testing, and it's cheaper when you do it online and you don't need a doctor. We list several websites. There's one I use pretty often. They're not a sponsor of my stuff or anything, but they're really good, privatemdlabs.com, and you just go there, and you can pretty much get any of these tests I've been talking about, so you can ask for the NMR lipoprofile test. I believe that one's about $125, and it'll show you all those numbers. Um, You can have a C-reactive. What's that? (laughs) That sounds fun. I love the test junkie. And I'm a, yeah, I'm a quantified selfer. So it's like, I love testing, as you well know, a lot of things about my blood and what's going on with my health. So yeah, that, that side has gotten a lot of my money over the past few years <laughs> because um, it gives I've you so much used... valuable information and, and you really are the boss. Say again. Yeah. I've also used direct labs. I, I know they have some, some tests you can get. Yep. Um, so. Let's say someone goes to their doctor and they, oh, well, let's go back. One, one more thing I want to ask about the testing. Yep. Let's, let's say that, what are some other numbers that you want to look at if you're, um, if you, you know, to figure out your risk, if you need to go deeper into. Sure. So. We have already talked about the advanced cholesterol test, so the LDLP number on the NMR lipo profile and the small LDLP, you know, those numbers are in line. You also want to take a look at your HDL cholesterol, so that's on your basic panel. Ideally, you want that number to be above 50 and optimally above 70. The way you get HDL up, like we talked about earlier, eat more fats, especially the saturated fat sources that we talked about, the pastured butter, the grass-fed uh, sources of, of fats. So that's one. And then triglycerides is another huge key. You want your triglycerides definitely to be below 100 and optimally under uh, 70. So my current level of triglycerides is 37. Uh, my HDL is 79, by the way. And when your HDL or triglyceride HDL ratio is under 2, it's pretty darn good, and if it's under one, like mine is, mine's right around 0.5, um, that's really, really good. And then the final marker that you can have run is called an HSCRP, stands for high-sensitivity C-reactive protein. And you might be going, what in the world is that? Well, that's a key inflammatory marker in the body. Inflammation is the cause of heart disease, not cholesterol inflammation. So if you run this inflammatory marker and it comes back low, which my current level is 0.55, really anything under 1.0 is pretty darn good, um, then you have a very low risk for heart disease. So knowing your LDLP, knowing your small LDLP, knowing your triglycerides, your HDL, and your HSCRP, if all of those numbers come back in line, Caitlin, you really have a very small chance of heart disease. And yet everybody focuses on total and LDL cholesterol as the be-all, end-all, and requiring them to take statin medication. And would your fasting blood glucose be important too? Oh, absolutely. And that's a key marker that we put in there. That would be one that you would want to look at if your LPIR score was over that 15 we were talking about a while ago. 
or if any of these markers I just talked about are out of whack, um, you know, usually when that happens, your blood sugar's already feeling the effects of it. So, you know, I'm a big fan of testing your blood sugar. I test it every day. Um, and knowing where you stand with your blood sugar is probably going to tell you more about your health than your total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol ever will. Absolutely. That's some great information. So let's talk about, say someone goes to their doctor and the, the doctor takes their total cholesterol and it's over 200. Yep. And what, what can someone say in defense of not wanting to go on statin drugs? Sure. So I, I use this analogy in the book and I've talked about it quite a bit on a lot of the interviews I've been on. Knowing your total cholesterol is like knowing the end of a baseball game is 25. You don't know if that's a 24 to 1 blowout. You don't know if it's a barn burner of a game 13 to 12. You just don't know what that number means. And so without context of what the breakdown of that total cholesterol means, why are you medicating me? And one of those numbers is one you want to have high, Caitlin, your HDL cholesterol. In fact, I just had a lady just last week. Uh, she wrote to me and she said her doctor was pushing statins. Her total cholesterol was 225. And that's all she showed me. I said, well, what's the rest of your panel? Let's take a look at it. And she showed me her HDL cholesterol was 105. Well, anybody that knows cholesterol panels knows a 105 HDL is extremely good. That's really, really, really good. So of that 225, 105 of it, or about 40%, was this good cholesterol. So why are we wanting to medicate a patient who has a really good HDL cholesterol just because it shows up on their total cholesterol as 225 and in the danger zone? That just doesn't make sense. So that's one. And then the other thing is the LDLC that's on your cholesterol panel is a calculated number. It's not a precisely measured number. So why are we basing treatment on a number that's not exact, that's not uh, you know, precisely measured? They use this equation called the Friedwald equation to come up with that LDLC number. And it can be miscalculated, especially if you have lower triglycerides like I do and higher HDL cholesterol. It will miscalculate that LDL and falsely show your doctor that you're in a danger zone, you know, quote unquote danger zone with your total cholesterol when you're perfectly healthy and do not need medication. And there not there some variation day to day of your cholesterol? Oh, it could vary, you know, heavily. And in fact, one of the chapters in the book uh, is chapter 14, nine reasons why your cholesterol levels can go up. And a lot of people in your audience may suffer from this one. I say suffer because if you've ever lost weight, you know it can be suffering sometimes. <laughs> but I, uh, as you talked about earlier, I, I was losing quite a bit of weight in the past year. And about halfway through that in December last year, I decided just for fun, let's run my total cholesterol. Well, in the midst of the weight loss, Cholesterol levels can go way up. Well, guess what my total cholesterol level was in December of 2012, Caitlin? What? It was 419. Wow. So it got way up there. And, of course, if I went to my doctor at the time, he would have been pushing the highest level of satin medication, a low-fat diet, healthy whole grains, the whole nine, the whole nine yards. I would have got the whole spiel. Well, 
when I finished losing the 78 pounds I lost over the past year and became weight stable for a few months, I decided to go ahead and get my cholesterol tested again, again for fun. And my total cholesterol level came in at 306. So while it was 419. It's always been a little high though, right? It has, and, and we can talk about that here in a second, but 306 is much, much less, over 100 points less than that total cholesterol in December of 419, and yet, look how far it came down. I remember when the 306 came in, and I told the phlebotomist that the last time it was 419, she said, what, are you taking a statin? I'm like, no, not a statin drug. It just naturally fluctuated that much, because once my body became weight-stable, no longer did I have all of those fats kind of floating around in my blood, it cleared out of my body. Now, as you, as you said, I do tend to have higher levels of cholesterol. And in that chapter that I talk about why your cholesterol levels can go up, one of the things is periodontal health. So you, you might have read on Facebook when I had uh, you know several teeth pulled from root canals that I had for years and a lot of infections started happening in there. And then I had mercury amalgams pulled as well. So all of that was done a couple of months ago and fixing periodontal health can help possibly lower your cholesterol as well. So I'm, I'm hoping that now that I've got that work done, that the cholesterol levels that have been high for a, a lot of my life do tend to come down. But at the end of the, the day, the mouth the, is, a, is a large source of inflammation, right? Absolutely. The, the heavy metals in your body, uh, the inflammation from all those infections. Um, one of my experts in the book, we had 29 experts I interviewed around the world, and one of them was a holistic dentist in Australia who I got to meet last year when I went there, and he said that that's probably one of the biggest sources of inflammation that people just don't know about. And, of course, your medical doctor is going to see, you know, a 306 total cholesterol. Well, you need a statin drug. Never mind. Hmm, do you have things going on in your teeth? Let's, you know, go to a dentist and get that taken care of and then come back here in six months and let's see if your cholesterol normalizes. No, they're pushing statin drugs and not looking at the underlying cause of why the cholesterol is up. Yeah, they, they, they're much more trained in symptom management rather than looking for the, the underlying issue. Right. So, uh, let's say somebody has been doing kind of a low carb paleo lifestyle for a while and they don't have changes. So say they have low HD, low HDL and high LDL and mm -hmm. they've tested their thyroid, which we could talk about that a little bit too. Yep. Um, what, how high would the total cholesterol to LDL be to, to start to worry? Yeah, I think looking at total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol is the wrong thing. Yes. So if you're going to zoom in on some numbers, zoom in on these. Triglycerides. That one absolutely should be below 100 and optimally under 70. If it's not, Caitlin, guess what? You're probably eating way too many carbohydrates for your tolerance level. And that's a telltale sign. You know, people always say, well, I don't want to eat low carb. I said, that's fine. You don't have to eat low carb. But let's take a look at your triglyceride number. Is it over 100? So conventional wisdom says 150 is safe. But if once you're at 150, you're already showing some metabolic disturbance, which is why the 100 level is a much better marker and definitely the 70 level. So if you want to know if you're eating too many carbs in your diet, 
you look at that triglyceride level, let's get it under 100. Once it's under 100, then you found your carbohydrate tolerance. So if you're one of those people that you look at your cholesterol test results and you're seeing a 138 or 178, back off on the carbs and you'll see that number drop like a rock. So yeah. that's one. I, and Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say whenever I've worked with clients in the past and, you know, they would come at first with their lab work and everything. And then after a month or two, we'd get it done again or three months or six months. And you would always see, even if they weren't really, really low carb, but right. as soon as we got those inflammatory foods out, like the um, soybean oil and canola yep. oil and got, got them eating, if they were eating carbs, they were more like fruit or stuff. It just right. depends on the person, but. Most people who aren't extremely, like, they aren't super obese or anything like that. They, If they just kind of switch over to more natural diet, of, uh, then their numbers kind of come in range naturally. That's right. And especially uh, the other marker I was going to tell you about was HDL. You know, if, if somebody comes to you as a client and they've got low HDL and then they come back a few months later and say, well, I'm eating the diet, but my HDL hasn't improved I would probably challenge them and say, are you eating enough fat? Because it's almost impossible for your HDL not to move if you're eating adequate amounts of fat in your diet. So getting the trigs down, getting the HDL up, those are two easy things to look at on your cholesterol panel to determine whether you're eating the right mix that's right for you. Absolutely. So, um yeah, this person just needs to look at the other different numbers and not be so focused on those. Um, so th another thing I was interested in is like there's a lot of things, uh, correlations between diabetes and, and, and heart disease. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean, certainly having higher blood sugar levels, which are going to, you know, increase your insulin uh, levels in your body going up as well, that's going to have a downstream metabolic effect. So once you get diabetes, you're almost on a road to heart disease because all of these things talk about the role of nutrition. And I think that's the whole missing element. It's what we really tried to scream in Cholesterol Clarity. You don't have a statin drug deficiency. You have basic nutritional changes that need to happen to improve your health. So it, we were talking about earlier, get yourself a glucometer, test your blood sugar, know where you stand with that. And if you get your blood sugar, uh, one of my experts was uh, Dr. Kate Shanahan. She's a family physician, and she said, uh, you know, if you get your blood sugar, you know, fasting below 93, you're pretty much in good cardiometabolic health. And, you know, you're very low risk for diabetes, very low risk for heart disease when you keep your blood sugar at that level. Now, once you start getting higher and higher and higher levels of blood sugar um, on, on the blood glucose monitor, then you've got to pay attention to what you're eating and make those changes away from those inflammatory foods that you were describing earlier more to the real whole, you know, grass-fed, pastured sources of foods. Those are the ones that are going to nourish your body, keep your blood sugar under control, and prevent this whole diabetes that then ultimately leads to heart disease connection from happening. Absolutely. Um, so that that the cholesterol is kind of pushed 
into the bloodstream more so because of inflammation in the arterial walls? Yes, that's that's one of the functions. Yep, that's one of the things that cholesterol does. And I I liken cholesterol, uh, Caitlin, to firefighters. You know, you think about what firefighters do. They go to the scene of a fire when a fire is, is burning in a house or a building. So they go to the scene of the fire and they put the fire out. Would we turn around and say, darn those firefighters, they're the reason why fires happen because they're at every single fire (laughs) that ever happens. We wouldn't do that. That would be absurd, wouldn't it? And yet that's exactly what we're doing with cholesterol. Cholesterol is increased in the body. and Oh, look at that cholesterol going up. So it's the reason why we have heart disease. No, the reason we have heart disease is we have inflammation, which then brings on those firefighters, the cholesterol, to try to put out the fire of inflammation. And so we got to stop vilifying the wrong thing. It's not the cholesterol. It is the inflammation. Absolutely. And so what what is your opinion about some of the current cholesterol treatments? So a lot of the treatments for high cholesterol, which I even hate to even put that, I, I usually put that in quotation marks because I don't think high cholesterol in itself is a disease. It's not. Um, it may indicate other things are going on if it's at a certain level, but it doesn't mean it in and of itself is a disease. So how we're treating it is almost exclusively uh, with a pharmaceutical drug. So the statin drugs are just horrendous because it's, again, treating the wrong problem. We're treating the cholesterol and not treating the disease itself. We're not treating the inflammation that's going on. Now, the uh, statin drug companies have gotten pretty savvy now and said, oh, well, uh, we never intended for them to lower cholesterol as the main benefit. Their real benefit is, get this, they're an anti-inflammatory. So they're getting with the bandwagon of what people are paying attention to, and yet you still hear this mantra, my cholesterol is too high, not my inflammation is too high. I would love it if the $29 billion in annual revenue that statin drug companies make now, Caitlin, if that was taken away tomorrow, guess what we'd be talking about as far as heart health? We'd be talking about HDL cholesterol, triglycerides, and your inflammatory markers, maybe even a CT heart scan to measure for calcified plaque in your arteries. Those would be the measurements by which we measure heart disease, not this artificial let's lower total and LDL cholesterol. That's great. Um, Great information. So let's talk about, well, I wanted to say my dad has been on the statins for a long time and I tried mm-hmm. to get him off but he has some other um well first of all he thinks his doctor is god but yeah uh, number two he tries he has some other issues some other heart issues and so it's hard to talk to him about it and but he, but he got his his um his cholesterol so low now, yeah. it's like under 140. And it's mm. like, wh- how about, what happened to normal? You know, wh- where is the normal? It's just now it's below normal is normal. You but know? you know what? We, we have been conditioned as a society that 
We need to go lower in our cholesterol. In fact, one of the cholesterol-lowering medications promoted on television says that very thing. Go lower. Ask your doctor about Lipitor. And so people dutifully try to get their cholesterol lower and lower. And I remember in 1999, I did a low-fat diet, lost a lot of weight, and my cholesterol, which I took a statin drug for, lowered down, I want to say it reached like 130, Caitlin. It was really low. And I thought I was so proud of myself for being so low. I didn't recognize at the time I was having anger issues and some other uh, neurological brain health issues. I was forgetting things. Didn't think twice about it because, wow, look at my great heart health because my total cholesterol is 130. And so, yeah, too low a cholesterol is a major problem. And we devote a whole chapter to this one. Chapter 13, what do, you, my, what do you mean my cholesterol is too low? Because when your cholesterol dips below kind of where your dad's is now, um, that's bad news on a lot of levels. Um, it can lead to especially the brain health issues. You start having this foggy brain. I don't know how, you know, how he remembers things or, or what his you know, general state of, of mental clarity is. But generally, when your cholesterol gets that low, your brain's not getting enough of what it needs to function properly. Yeah, I've got him to cut back on it, but I mean, he's really still very doing very well. And um, but I just wish he would listen to me a little bit. And uh, but he's getting there. I mean, you just got to keep working on him. But on that, on that, uh, the brain health. What do you? Did you? I'm sure you ran up against the Alzheimer's topic while you were researching this book. And what did? Is there a little snippet you can tell us about that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Alzheimer's is is one of those issues that comes up with a couple of things. So it could be too low cholesterol, and then it could also be statin-induced. So if you're taking a statin drug thinking you're heart healthy, guess what? You might simultaneously be giving yourself a susceptibility to Alzheimer's disease, Uh, among other things. There's also with statins, there's Satin-induced diabetes, satin-induced cancer. There's a lot of bad things, but the brain health issues that happen when you get your cholesterol levels lower and lower and lower is extremely dangerous, which is why I eat lots of fat in my diet, and I don't mind having a little bit higher levels of cholesterol in my blood because I know it's making my brain sharper. And there's some real, real concerns, Caitlin, with people artificially especially lowering their cholesterol levels to these unseemly low levels, don't do that, people, because you're literally robbing your body, especially as people get older, and you women especially, Caitlin, as you get older, you want higher and higher levels of cholesterol because that is part of naturally how God made you. In fact, one of my uh, cholesterol experts was Dr. Chris Masterjohn. He said, in traditional cultures free from heart disease, the average level of cholesterol in women in those heart, in those um, cultures was 250. And as they got older, in their 60s and 70s, it was pushing closer to 300. And so you want that cholesterol in your body. It's there for a reason. Let's stop artificially trying to play God and lower it. Absolutely. I think that I've seen Dr. Eads has a great book, uh, video about the risk between women and statin drugs and diabetes risk. And it's really easy to easy to understand. Um, 
So we have a few questions from our Facebook page. Sure. So um, Judy wants to know, why is the mainstream medical community so slow to change the treatment protocols for heart disease? It because they're being educated, educated by the pharmaceutical companies. companies. Absolutely. Yeah, we kind of already went over that. Um, and then the next one is from Lori. She wants to know natural ways to de decrease hereditary high cholesterol. Her doctor has her on a statin at 50, and no matter what, what she does, no significant... All right. No matter what I suggest, my MD has no significant decrease found. So Yeah, with familial hypercholesterolemia, which is the genetic form she's talking about, um, you, you pretty much do have to follow the protocols of most of what mainstream medicine is saying, although they're going to try to cut your fat and and all this kind of stuff, too. You've got to be real careful. We do provide a little bit of information in the book about FH. Uh, regarding what you can do with your diet. And some of those people, especially those who are homozygous, which is from both parents, you know, those people are really susceptible to heart disease. And maybe the only thing that's going to help them is a statin in, in that case. Um, a heterozygous, you have one family member that's, uh, you know, you've inherited this, you know, trait from. And for those people, diet alone can sometimes help. And again, it's not about the cholesterol level. It's about the inflammation. So measure for that inflammation. See how you're doing in your other numbers, the triglycerides and the HDL. Uh, by the way, Caitlin, for this book, I decided to go ahead and get tested. It's a very expensive test to know whether you truly do have familial hypercholesterolemia or not. Uh, I want to say it was like $1,400 just oh, to run goodness. these two major tests. If your publisher uh, paid for that. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually paid for it, but I'm going to write it off of my taxes, but... Um, I got it run, and it showed that I had a less than a 5% chance of having familial hypercholesterolemia, despite having levels of cholesterol over 300. And on my cholesterol panel, it almost always says, patient probably has familial hypercholesterolemia. And I'm going, why do they assume that? So I wonder if your Facebook reader is just assuming it because her levels are high or if she's actually had that test run. That's a good question. And I mean, the, the main thing, Lori, is to think about lowering your your dietary sources of inflammation. And, yes. you know, it could could make an impact and then maybe it would get your doctor to, to hush up. That's right. <laughs> so one last question, a little bit more about the diabetes. So my mom has high cholesterol levels and diabetes. This one's from Maria. Mm -hmm. And she was given medicines like a... S-cord, have you heard of that? <laughs> to, no. To lower it. And what are some natural ways of lowering cholesterol levels? She was told by her doctor to eat low-fat or fat-free products, but I read a recent post that these are unhealthy choices. Right. Good, good, good observation, Maria. Is there a connection between high cholesterol and diabetes? Both of these issues were discovered at the same time for my mom. Right. So I think she needs to take the focus off of the high cholesterol, and shift it to what we've been talking about here today. What are the triglycerides? Let's get them under 100. What is the HCL? Let's get that over 50. And most importantly for her mother who's a diabetic, let's get the blood sugar under control. 
getting that blood sugar. If she's type two, it's really easy to do that with diet. Um, you got to cut the carbs. I mean, just plain and simple. And what I've discovered over the past year, you've even got to moderate down some of the protein as well, because that can raise blood sugar and then eat lots of these healthy fats. We've been talking about uh, all episode long, add those to your diet to satiety and her blood sugar will drop. And all of the numbers with her cholesterol panel that matter will get better. Yeah. And I mean, with older people, it's a process, you know, and you've got to help them out and show them the way yep. and, you know, she may not be able to pull everything out the first minute, but she can slowly, you can clean out your house and help her show her some healthier things to eat. That's right. So let's go back to your book a little bit and tell hey, me. Kate, Caitlin, I've got less than five minutes left okay. before I have to be at another interview. So okay. well, we're, wrapping, we're wrapping up here. Um, so just tell us, you know, who is your intended audience and, and how can, how can this book help them? Sure. So I wrote this book on about the most simplistic level that I possibly could. <laughs> Anybody that's followed my stuff for a long time knows that's kind of my style. I try to make the science stay true to the science, which is why I had 29 experts and then a world-class co-author in Dr. Eric Westman to go behind me and make sure everything I was writing stayed true to the science, but at the same time, extremely palatable to the common man. And I got to tell you, I just talked to my dad just last night, Caitlin. I sent him a copy of Cholesterol Clarity and I said, have you started reading it yet? He said, yeah, I read the first page and it's too complicated. I said, you're lying to me because <laughs> I said, this book was written for people just like you, dad, because I know you're, you don't know what the HDL is wrong with your numbers. So you need a little bit of help. And so the intended audience was that newbie who doesn't know anything about anything when it relates to their cholesterol but I also wrote it for uh, simplicity of read for doctors who may not have heard any of this information before. I'm hoping they see all the medical doctors and researchers and PhDs and RDs that I have who have contributed to the book and say, wow, this, okay, maybe I should pay attention to what they're saying. So with the moment of clarity quotes, hoping to kind of tap into some of uh, those people with that. And then finally, the people in, in kind of paleo, low-carb community that need an easy resource to recommend to clients, to patients, to all these people that still think saturated fat and cholesterol is clogging their arteries and giving them heart disease and they're going to die of a heart attack. You know, we needed something that didn't just say, don't worry about your cholesterol. We needed a book that said, okay, I know you're going to worry about your cholesterol, and because I know that, Here's a manual that's going to give you things to take a look at that truly tell you whether you're heart healthy or whether you're in danger. So that's what we hoped to do with Cholesterol Clarity. Well, it sounds like a wonderful resource, Jimmy. We thank you so much for, for putting it out there, and I hope it's a bestseller. Everyone needs to read it. Thank you so much for being on our show. And get excited about our upcoming guests. We have Neely from the Paleo Plan. She's going to talk about how to put carbs in the right way in your diet and how to use them properly. And we have new shows about how to detox. Me and Mary are going to do also one on which sweeteners are healthy for you. And we also are looking forward to a paleo cooking tips with a very popular chef. So we're going to have those shows coming up and please leave us a review on iTunes and thanks so much for listening and share this podcast with your friends and family and get Jimmy's new book. Thank you so much. Have a great day.